Welcome to this episode of Bird and Bird's Competitive Edge, the podcast in which we dissect competitional issues to help you understand how they may affect your business. I'm Chloe Burkett, a trainee in our London office, and today I will be hosting our podcast with my colleague from our Brussels office, Sam Burnerman. Hello, dear listeners. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Sam Burnerman, an associate in our competition, trade and public affairs practice in Brussels. On this episode of our Competitive Edge podcast series, Chloe and I will discuss key developments on the eagerly awaited review and evaluation of the horizontal block exemption regulations and the updated draft guidelines, which were published by the European Commission on the 1st of March 2022. Chloe, before diving into a deeper discussion on the latest changes published in March, could you give our listeners a refresher on what the horizontal block exemption, block exemption regulations are and what purpose they serve in the competition law arena? Sure, Sam. Article 101, paragraph 3 of the TFEU prohibits agreements between companies which have as their object or effect the prevention, restriction or distortion of competition within the internal market. This article provides some limited exceptions which allow agreements that have a positive effect on the production or the distribution of products or that promote technological or economic progress. At the same time, it allows the consumers a fair share of the resulting benefit. Block exemptions have been introduced to help businesses navigate through these limited exceptions for certain types of agreements, such as horizontal cooperation agreements, vertical agreements, technology transfer agreements and research and development agreements. The horizontal block exemption regulations were first introduced in 2010, and these in the guidelines provide guidance on how to interpret and apply the block exemptions and how to assess compliance within Article 1011 and Article 1013 of the treaty. That's for research and development specialisation and other types of horizontal cooperation agreements that the block exemptions do not exempt. That could include purchasing, commercialisation, standardisation and standard term agreements, but also more generally exchanges of information. As the current block exemptions expire on the 31st of December 2022, the Commission has been consulting with stakeholders on the potential changes. So one interesting development is the new chapter on sustainability. Sam, are you able to provide a bit of background on this for us? Yes, of course. The introduction to this new chapter highlights issues that our clients and I would say many EU businesses are currently feeling strongly about. It supports the Commission's strategic priorities of endorsing the EU's transition to a greener economy. The chapter gives stakeholders guidance on how they can self-assess sustainability agreements. Interestingly, it provides broader scope of the definition of sustainability. The guideline states that sustainable development refers to the ability of society to consume and use the available resources today without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. This also encompasses activities that support economic, environmental and social, including labor and human rights, development. So this chapter could cover a broad range of agreements. It will give businesses more confidence to collaborate safely and in line with the law on issues or solutions relating to sustainability. For example, sustainability standardization agreement is unlikely to raise competition concerns where it secures transparency, open and non-discriminatory access, voluntary participation, freedom to adopt a higher standard, and where there is no exchange of commercially sensitive information. However, the sustainability standards should not lead to a significant increase in price or reduction in choice for consumers. Likewise, if the industry as a whole agrees on internal corporate conduct, such as agreeing to reduce paper printing or keeping the building at a lower temperature to save energy, 
well, this will be unlikely to raise competition concerns. Okay, that's interesting. We know that some national competition authorities have been particularly vocal about the role of competition law uh, and what that role could play in the transition to greener economies in the recent years. And they've also released their own guidance on sustainability, as we've seen in the Netherlands with the Consumer and Markets Authority. So how do you think that these will interact? Well, the draft EU and Dutch guidelines on how competing businesses can team up to help the environment Well, they appear to be on on the same page overall. However, the head of the Netherlands Authority for Consumers and Markets, Martin Snoop, did say he wanted to test the boundaries of what is permissible in an antitrust case on sustainability before the EU courts. In parallel, other member states have stressed that the current climate crisis warrants allowing companies greater flexibility to cooperate than is currently foreseen by the European Commission. It seems that national guidelines will develop in line with the draft block exemption regulations, and some cases may go even further than the European Commission's guidelines to encourage cooperation and agreements which benefit consumers and the environment. Great, thank you. Are there any particular issues in the sustainability sector which you think that these guidelines will help to resolve? Sure. A perpetual challenge with sustainability and environmental agreements is the risk of greenwashing. This is where a company states that they are acting in a climate-friendly way when the reality may be different. Or, for example, a product is advertised as made from recycled material when only 5% of uh, that product is actually made from that recycled material. It is important for consumers to be able to trust these sorts of statements to encourage investments and growth and sustainability. Well, the guidelines uh, note that any efficiencies used to justify collaboration should be concrete and objective. Sustainability standards that do not genuinely pursue a sustainability objective but cover up price fixing, market or or customer allocation, limitations of output or limitations of quality or innovation still are seen as restricting competition by object. The guidelines re-emphasize that there must be a pass on benefit to consumers but note that Agreements relating to sustainability may not always directly improve products for individual use. For example, consumers may be willing to pay more for washing up liquid, which is better for environmental water quality, but doesn't necessarily clean dishes any better than other products. Another example is developing a fair trade standard where consumers are willing to pay more for a guaranteed environmentally friendly supply chain. Therefore, from an economic perspective, such indirect benefits are not different from the usual quality-enhancing benefits that increase the direct use value of a product. The guidance states it is important to measure and record consumers' willingness to pay this through surveys or market research, which will help to justify any related price increases in the end. Thanks, Sam. Turning to another chapter, it would be interesting to discuss the developments in the chapter on information exchange. So what are your thoughts on the changes here? Well, as a general remark, um, businesses will welcome the additional guidance on concepts relevant for self-assessment, such such as on the aggregation of information, the age of information, what to consider as generally public information, unilateral disclosures of information, and indirect information exchanges, which are particularly relevant in hub-and-spoke scenarios. 
One notable thing about the guidelines, though, in the context of the digitalization of our economies, clearly is the focus on data. Information which is capable of being exchanged includes raw and unorganized digital content that will need processing in order to make it useful. That is uh, raw data, pre-processed data, or data that has already been prepared and validated. The guidelines state that this information can be shared in many ways, even through third-party technology, such as an algorithm or online platform. There is also guidance on the use of algorithms limiting or controlling use of data and control of access to information, it is important for businesses to take note of these requirements because they need to avoid accidentally exchanging information if they do not have the correct safeguards in place. However, the horizontal guidelines do not deal with information exchange in the context of dual distribution. This is governed under separate regulation by the European Commission's Vertical Block Exemption Regulation, and accompanying guidelines. Yeah, that's right. As we're all aware, the Commission has been very busy recently and published this consultation document on the draft new section of the vertical guidelines, which contains the proposed guidance on information exchange in the dual distribution relationships. Exactly. Thank you. I think it's it's also important for us to discuss some of the interesting changes to chapters 7 and 8 on standardisation. Chloe, how do you see these changes affecting industries? So the draft revised horizontal guidelines indeed include, to a certain extent, some insightful changes in relation to standardisation agreements and also standard terms. Although the chapter relates to standardisation generally, I'll mention some of the more notable ones in the context of intellectual property. On disclosure, there's a preference for specific intellectual property rights disclosure, as opposed to general vague or blanket disclosures. When patent holders give specific disclosure, it's believed to give the industry the chance to make better and more informed choices on the standard, as that means they can review exactly what they will be required to implement. However, this may be more difficult in practice. Some businesses may be hesitant to give overly specific disclosure in the interests of protecting their technology. Although fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory terms, which is better known as FRAND, are a well-known and often discussed topic, the guidelines try to give more explanation as to what FRAND means in practice. So with respect to valuation of IP rights and royalty rates, the revised guidelines provide for adapted methods with the aim of seeking to achieve more consistent and reliable valuations. However, the difficulty with FRAND is that the final agreements are often confidential and subject to NDAs. And given the commercial sensitivity of license valuation, it can be very difficult to really find out the terms. Sometimes FRAND is also arbitrated. And again, this will be subject to a lot of confidentiality agreements. So this makes it more difficult to encourage transparency. The guidelines ultimately bow to the party's ability to litigate or arbitrate FRAND rates if valuation can't be achieved through negotiations or other means. Maximum royalty stacking is now no longer considered restrictive of competition by object. One way to enable parties to make more informed choices, which is suggested by the guidelines, is ex ante unilateral disclosures of the most restrictive licensing terms or the maximum accumulated royalty rate. This would allow the parties involved in the development of the standard to take an informed decision based on the disadvantages and advantages of alternative technologies and agreements. And finally, licensing negotiation groups will be viewed and analysed from a new perspective, which is as joint purchasers or as part of a joint purchasing agreement. Sounds great. It will be interesting to see how all of these changes we've discussed play out in practice.
Yeah, agreed. Well, that's it for today. Thank you, Sam. This has been really insightful. If you've got any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us via email at samuel.burnerman at twobirds.com or chloe.burkett at twobirds.com. And of course, if you'd like to stay up to date on competition and EU law developments in Europe and beyond, you can sign up to receive our monthly Competitive Edge newsletter. You can find a link to our homepage on www.twobirds.com forward slash competition.